Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. I am Catherine Whitaker of Eurosport, and I'm joined by David Law of BT Sport and of Five Live and many other Ashire. David, how are you doing on this fine spring day? Finally, it's actually spring. It is spring and you finally got here. I've only been waiting for 45 minutes. But anyway, you are here. I've been doing night shifts at uh, BT Sport uh, covering the Indian Wells tournament. It's been great. Um, I don't know what time it is today. I don't really know what day it is. But uh, David's got the same weird non-travel-based jet lag that I had this time last week. It's very, very strange. It is a bit strange. But but the good news is that I've been watching te- tennis for a living for a week and, yeah, calling it work. Yeah, we're not, we're not complaining. We're not complaining. Of course, as you've already mentioned, Indian Wells has been happening. And, of course, the sun's been shining. Surprise, surprise, it, it surprise. Is an, it is an obscene climate they have in Indian Wells. I mean, I, I was reading the other day that they have 354 days of sunshine a year. I mean, so basically just the 11 days when your dad turns up is when it goes wrong. It was 2006, by the way, I should correct. Last year, I, I, I put you on the spot and I said, if it, do you remember anything special about 2005? But it was 2006. And it was quite famous for the horrendous the horrendous weather they'd had incidentally my dad obviously texts me to say finally the scandal of the 2006 Indian Wells trip has been unearthed and aired on the tennis podcast he said oh you forgot to mention that I don't know if this is particularly interesting but they watched the, the match that they finally got to watch when the rain cleared up enough for tennis to happen was Mark Philippoussis losing in the first round and then they were stuck at the airport because another storm came in and no planes were taking off tiny little palm springs airport and they were sat there with a very downbeat looking mark philippousis and his dad trying to give him a pep talk in this tiny little airport which didn't even have a terminal i don't know if it has a terminal now but it sounds like it was sort of an open air shack type thing just 
My mum and dad, Mark Philippoussis, junior and senior. There we are. <laughs> Catherine Whitaker here on the tennis podcast. And uh, yeah, Mark Philippoussis won that tournament. Do you know, I remember the Not year... Not that year he didn't. No, he didn't that year. But I remember, I think the year he won it, he beat Carlos Moyer in the final just after Moyer had gone to world number one. Oh, can't, hard to believe that Mark Philippoussis is no longer an active tennis player. He tried to be, didn't he? He, he did some comebacks, didn't he? He, 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 did, he did one really, really great comeback and got to that Wimbledon final 2003. And then he did one slightly less good Is he comeback, the, is he the best player that, that has never been to world number one and won a Grand Slam title, do you think? I mean, you know, he, his talent, his power, when he first came a- along and he was throwing Pete Sampras around like a rag doll, I mean, I thought this guy, you know, he has got to be the, the next the great best that's champion. never been to world number one or won a Grand Slam. Yeah. David now banned Speaking of slamming, if you can hear some door slamming in the background, it's because David and I are in a pub. David has secured sort of an underground lair in this pub. He walked in and he said, oh, it's a bit noisy in here. Have you got any sort of lairs that we could record a podcast in? And they said, yes, sir. Took him down some stairs and here we are in a cellar. Yeah, <laughs> recording the, the, a podcast the official tennis podcast lair so you basically think mark philippus's and nick kyrgios are going to end up the same because kyrgios is probably talent wise of a similar level and you don't think he's going to win a slam or be world number one well i think i think he might if i had to pin my colors to the mast which i do frequently on this podcast then i would say he probably won't i i know I, mark Philippoussis has a lot to say about Nick Kyrgios. I think he'd love to coach him. I don't think that will ever happen, incidentally. Oh, this, is, this, is, this is in mystery land. I'd pay but I that. think he feels like he could give him the arm around the shoulder and be the guy that Nick Kyrgios might actually listen to because he has genuinely been there and made those mistakes before. You know, there's some sort of saying, isn't there, that you've got to learn from other people's mistakes because you can't possibly make them all yourself. And I think Philippoussis feels like he could do that favour to Nick Kyrgios. It's never going to happen. It's not, it's not even... I can, David's eyes are lighting up with pole vault glee. There is no point in doing a pole vault on this because it's not going to happen. Well... You it's never know. Happen. You never know, Catherine Whitaker. Even Lendl was never going to go back to Andy Murray. Uh, but there you go. He yeah, did, didn't he? Yeah, I know nothing. Anyway. <laughs> Nick Kyrgios is in the quarter of death, as they call it. Uh, in, in, whenever you have a draw, World Cup or anything like that, where they put two or three big teams or players together, it becomes known as that, doesn't it? The group of death or the quarter of but death. But this and, really is a quarter I mean, of death. Basically, we are now at the stage where that starts to become relevant because last night, Novak Djokovic beat Carl Edmund, who in Incidentally, was awesome for a set. Best set of tennis I've ever seen. Proper purple patch, wasn't it? Yeah, he was amazing. The the sound of the ball coming off his racket, and he was a breakup. He was serving for the second set. He didn't quite get it done. And incidentally, credits to Djokovic because he's he is the pass master at just soaking that up. And eventually, when the moment comes when they've actually got to try to deliver and win the set, he stops them in their tracks. It sounded like. Trees being felled, didn't it? The way he was thwacking. But uh, I was going to say the forehand there, but actually what was so fantastic about it was his backhand. I mean, he hit, well, several backhand winners. The backhand was very, very solid. And he hit one utterly sensational backhand winner, which was applauded by Djokovic and, and heralded on Twitter as well. He, he was sensational. And I think 
it was right that he lost that match. Absolutely, as you say, that was. Those are the sorts of matches that Djokovic can weather. You know, he can he can stare someone out down the other end of the court and say, "Okay, you're playing really well. You're beating me just now. But if you're going to actually beat me, you're going to have to do this every point for the next." two solid sets and you probably can't do that mate can you and he couldn't big ask big ask but anyway so what it means is Djokovic is now through in that section of the draw so he now is going to have to face one Martin Del Potro in I mean this is what happened in Acapulco the other week isn't it and and then the dangerous lurker yeah then Martin Del Potro he's what Azarenka was a year ago isn't he yeah that's right and of course, Azarenka went in and won this tournament. And, and then you've got um, Kyrgios now against Alexander Zverev. Then the winner of those two matches meet. And then the winner of that match could well meet the winner of Federer against Nadal. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it is utterly ridiculous. Andy Murray said he'd never seen anything like no. it. No, I've never seen anything like it, I don't think. I, I, and uh, does Nadal play Vidasco as well? Somebody plays Vidasco. Nadal plays Vidasco, I think. Right. Round three, Nadal, Vidasco, uh, and and then potential round four, Federer and Nadal. It is ridiculous. Awesome. Yeah, it's just great. And, and, and I feel okay talking about it because they are, it's happening, isn't it? The, 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 when the draw comes out, obviously you project and you go, oh my goodness, every match is sensational. But of course, so much things happen, David. That's That's my... That's my catchphrase, isn't it? Things happen. Uh, but the, the right things are happening, aren't they, to create these incredible matchups? Good things are happening yeah. in Indian Wells. But the, but the weird thing is, we also do that thing where we say, right, well, <laughs> that means Andy Murray's in the final in the other half of the draw because he's Not got. Not sure we did say well, that, though, did we? Come on. I certainly didn't. Oh, been, oh really? Yeah. So, Catherine Whittaker has picked that Andy Murray would go down at the hands of Vasek Pospisil. I have to, well, no, look. I did not pick that, but when I saw when I saw the draw and it was a qualifier, I thought, oh yeah, it's good for Andy Murray. And then when I saw that it was Pospisil that came through, I did raise an eyebrow. I have to say, I did raise an eyebrow because she's raising it right now. Uh, it's uh, first and foremost, it's it. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast bef- recently that it's extraordinary what's happened to Vasek Pospisil, and not really due to injury or anything. He's just fallen away completely he, he did he's say just... he'd had some personal problems in his press comments the other day I, I don't he didn't elaborate on what they were but he right. did say most of most of the ris- issues i've had recently have been personal interesting interesting well it's, it's been a terrible shame to see him fall away the way he has but surely only a matter of time before he pulls it together um and nothing helps you pull it together better than a big win on a big stage and um, i did think he really might fancy that and you probably watched the tapes of Misha Zverev in Australia to to get some tips of how to beat him. I have to admit, I didn't watch the match because I was in Bangor, and um, Bangor doesn't have brilliant internet. internet. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the seventies. Right. That's why I didn't. <laughs> You're in the seventies, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. 
You went, David, you did watch the match. Tell us about it. Uh, this is the Andy Murray Vasek Pospisil match. I watched the uh, I watched only the match point actually because I, I I didn't manage to stay up for it. It was one of those obscenely late three or four in the morning jobs. Uh, I saw a, a few highlights the next day. I also read all the quotes from from both players and a few uh, accounts from people who'd been there uh, and watched it. And I mean, honestly, it did seem like the sort of problems that Andy Murray's been having in, in Indian Wells on a number of occasions. This is four times in seven years that he has failed to get two match wins in a row. He's three times lost at the first hurdle in the tournament after a bye. And he has reached a final. He has reached a couple of semis. But relatively to the rest of his career on all the other tournaments on this sort of surface I don't think there's anything comparable in terms of the record he's had and he cannot figure it out he cannot put his finger on it he's he said he arrived a week early with Jamie Delgado to practice on the court to get used to the conditions he you know he he did all the things that I guess you would think of doing I mean he's had time off okay he he had the the uh, the Dubai tournament which he which he ended up winning but he's not perhaps burnt out the way he looked like he was in the Australian Open. But for whatever reason, you know, it didn't happen. Now, part of that is obviously going to be the performance of Vasek Pospisil, who played and plays a similar style of tennis to that of Misha Zverev. He comes at Andy Murray. Now, when Zverev drew Murray, I honestly, I was dismissive on this show about Zverev's chances. I thought he was perfect for Andy Murray to just lob and pass and bamboozle really when he's trying to come at him and uh, well Zverev made a fool out of me and Vasek Pospisil did the same thing you know they're they're showing that that sort of tennis if done really well can be effective still and the the particulars of Indian Wells the, the the thin quick air where the ball flies through the air quickly and yet the court that has been slowed down almost to compensate it I think it's a really weird combination for Andy Murray and I, d- I just don't think he's he's quite got to grips with it you can hear sort of the past greats from the 80s applauding can't you I mean the joy nothing to do with Andy Murray but just the joy of seeing Sir Volley win out in the Australian Open you know, I saw the likes of Boris Becker and John McEnroe and Pat Cash in particular the glee uh, on their faces, in their voices, that yes, this is a style of tennis that can still work. Take notice, everyone. Serve and volley works sometimes in the right circumstances and conditions against the right opponent. And it's still such a lovely game to watch. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think there was there was too much of it back in the day. You know, when it was on lightning fast courts and you couldn't do anything else other than serve and volley if you wanted it to be successful. It used to be get too samey, but now to see this being employed against these all-time great backcourt players, defenders, you know, it's so much fun to watch. I mean, even last night I saw a bit of Roberta Vinci against Svetlana Kuznetsova and Vinci struggling suddenly decided, right, I'm just going to go to the net every single point. In the, and she won the second set 6-2. And, you know, I found I was commentating and I was getting way more excited than I should have been about this, this regulation uh, match on an outside court. But it was just the way that Vinci was doing it and the crowd were responding to it. it, it it's fun to watch. David's very good at that, getting far more excited than he's got any right to be. Right. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Mish. He's got Dominic Team next. What's happening there? This, this is a new nickname. The, the Mish. The Mish. 
Yeah, trying it out. Yeah, didn't slip that one past your radar. He's got Dominic Team next. What's happening? Is that going to be on the t-shirt? Like, well, if you say Zverev, that doesn't get you anywhere, does it? So the Mish. What's happening against Dominic Team? This will be out of date by the time. I I don't know. I I, I think Team will probably win that. I would have thought, but then you know, who's to predict with uh, with Dominic? Did you know, David, this, I mean, this is this is a diversion that definitely wasn't on our agenda, but um, in the Sky commentary of a Kyle Edmund match the other day, uh, Mark Petchy brought up this, a statistic that he had obtained from Hawkeye of who had the, on average, that's crucial, who had on average the fastest forehands at the US Open last year. So average forehand speed, and there were five players that had the top average forehand speed. And I'll, I'll help you out. One of them is Kyle Edmund, and that's why the statistic was raised. Another one of them was Dominic Team. How interesting is that? Can you name the other three? Well, it's got to be Del Potro, I would have thought. It's Del Potro, but that's the only one I think that isn't... There's another one that I think is surprising. Girl on face? No, and that's where I think the fact that it's average is crucial because I think... On a given shot, when he tees off, his is his is as quick as anyone, but he pushes it a lot. The, both the forehand and the backhand, he pushes. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure who the Kane others are. Kane Really? Yeah. And Jack Sock. Yeah. Well, so Sock, Edmund, Del Potro, fine. They're all different kinds of forehands, yeah. aren't they? Because, and this is the other thing about it, is is that speed through the air? At, measured at a certain point. It's however Hawkeye measures I mean, it. The thing is, I, I think of you know the, the spin, the rotation. I think it is speed through the air because it would be the same as how they measure the serve, which right. is speed through the air, isn't well, it? Well, the revolutions that Jack Sock gets on the ball, you know, I mean, his is such a violent shot, quite similar to, to Edmund's, at least from a layperson's standpoint. But certainly watching Carl Edmund last night, it was like watching Jim Courier in the, in the early 90s in the way he goes about his, his points, to me at least. I mean, again, I'm, I don't have the... The pedigree of watching and understanding of, of, of someone like Mark Petty, but you know, just in terms of the, the patterns that I've been watching for 25 years, that's what it looked like to me. Um, but no, I, I, I do find all of those players interesting. I'm not that surprised about um, Kane Ishikori. Who was the other one you mentioned? Well, Dominic T. I was I'm very surprised that, about I'm that. I'm not that surprised. I, not? I, I would imagine that Stan Wawrinka's is really quick too. I mean, these guys just have. Stanford Rinka was 77. So 80 was the fastest right. average, which those five players achieved. Vavrinka was down at Seems to a me that th- there's a really crisp sound when, when those guys hit the ball. Like Not- snapping a carrot in yeah. half. Oh, yes. Exactly that. I love and- that. So there you go. Anyway, I hope you, I hope you all enjoyed my diversion. I, I, just, found it, I just found it interesting. How quick's your forehand? I've only had, ever had my service speed measured. What did you get up to? Wasn't I? I, I was with an, an an unfamiliar racket in you know so very stressful circumstances. I wasn't wearing tennis kit. It was fifty. All, I think I got seventy something. 70. Yeah. Do, you, do you know Annika Beck? This will make you feel better. Annika Beck <laughs> hit the slowest ace I've ever seen the other day I saw you against tweet Eugenie about Bouchard. This. She beat Eugenie Bouchard and she hit a sixty-seven mile an hour ace. Oh, I love that. It was amazing. Um, Bouchard, incidentally. We won't go into it in detail, but 66 unforced errors? Yeah. 
in three sets. Yeah. 66 yeah, she on was all in three sets. over the place. I mean, really, she has got a lot of work to do. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, so we're saying uh, Dominic Team of fast forehand fame is going to beat Misha Zverev. I won't go through all the matches because they really will Who's all be out of date. Who's going to come through the quarter? The, who's, who's coming through you know, that the, quarter? The, the big quarter, yeah. Who's going to end up in that? I think Nadal will get revenge over Federer. Me too. And I think that Nadal might beat Djokovic. Maybe, maybe not. Don't know. Well, Djokovic, actually, I think it's more likely Djokovic will lose to Del Potro. I think Nadal will come through that quarter. Who do you think? Kyrgios. Oh, come on! You seriously think that? Yeah. I think he might lose to Zverev. Well, he might do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, We'll find out. That's the beauty of it. So, hang on, what's happening? Who's Kyrgios beating in the quarter? Uh, whoever he's up against. Um, so, I, I think it'll be Djokovic against Kyrgios. I in think, the fourth round. Yeah, I think Kyrgios will win. And then I think it'll be Nadal and Kyrgios will win. He's such a Kyrgios optimist. He's, bless him. <laughs> bless him. Uh, again, having said that I'm not going to go through every match, I just have to comment on Madison Keys' Naomi Osaka. What's happening there? Yeah. And, and Madison Keys physically shaking on the court yes. with Lindsay Davenport. Oh. She was about to serve for the match. That was upsetting, actually. It was, yeah. For, we, we I mean, she was in a, a dominating position. She played well, but obviously this is her first tournament back after a good time out she's back with Lindsay Davenport she she had Lindsay Davenport onto the court just to give her a just an arm around the shoulder uh you know a a mental pick-me-up ahead of you know trying to serve out the first win in a long time she She was was physically I think she was something like six one four one up something like that or six one five one up and then it went to to five four and and yeah Lindsay Davenport came out onto the court and and I mean, yeah, her voice was trembling. Madison Keys, she was, she was, and it just shows when you've had time out of the game and you're not used to the pressures, it it takes you a while to to become hardened to those situations. It doesn't yeah, matter I, how many tennis balls you hit in practice, you cannot replicate. Yeah, I found I found that really heartening and insightful because so so many top players make it all look far too easy, don't they? And you hear commentators, you hear people that have been there and done it talking about nerves and they say, oh, you know, that error, it looked like her arm was a bit stiff there during that error, you know, it looked like her her trainers have got lead in or you know you hear it all the time and I and I accept and believe that they are experiencing nerves but somehow they often look just completely impervious to all the sorts of things that afflict normal human beings like you and I so um I found it sort of quite heartening really to see her experiencing that it's it's one of the interesting talking points about on-court coaching because to me it it shines this really interesting light on on what players go through in that instance we saw it again with joe conta last night she she struggled with her backhand and she couldn't really understand that because that's her her banker shot and her coach came on and, and he and early on he was saying things like you know we would taken this we, we would have taken a set and two all or whatever it is then when it goes on and, and goes on he you can hear the way that they're, they're trying to just steady the ship with their with their player and you can you get this raw emotion and raw insight into the player how they're feeling which you don't normally get now is that good news for the sport that we get to see that and get to hear that or would it be better for them to still 
be these kind of champions and lions of the sport that 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 we don't necessarily no, I see love it. the inside. I love it. I mean, obviously, it helps us. I think that for people that have to make a living from talking about and analysing tennis, it's just an extra string to our bow, isn't it? The insight. I mean, they are literally telling us what they're thinking and feeling on the court, which is invaluable to the likes of us. You know, Mladenovic in uh, Acapulco, she, her, her mum, Zanita, is her coach. And the dynamic between them on the court. She was a stroppy teenager with her mother. And she she brought her mother on at, at, in several matches at stages when things were going really, really well. And she still had a whinge at her mum. She said, oh, well, I'm not doing that right. What, what, you know, yeah, I might be three love art, but I'm not happy with my forehand. What can you do about that? And no eye contact at all. And oh, I just found the whole thing fascinating. Well, there was, a, there was a very uncomfortable Yelena Yankovic one a couple of days ago where there was a set break and she, she was really struggling in the third set against Arena Falcone. And she, was, she spent five, six minutes talking to, to Guillermo Cañas and nothing he could say was right. Nothing. And, and, he, and she, was, she was just laying her heart bare to, to everybody that, that I'm miserable, I'm not happy. With, it, it was really quite quite upsetting for, for, for most people, I think, that witnessed it, to, to see this insight into somebody who just wasn't enjoying it. And, um, and that, that... Was she referring to the match or to I, well, life in general? It did sound to me like, yeah, a lot more to it than just the match. Yeah, Mokanyas finding himself as a life coach and <laughs> yeah, therapist and, but, you know, inadvertently. You, you, it, it lays you bare, doesn't it? The, the, the tennis court, when you are emotionally wrapped up in it and it's not going well you see that with people and and I've I didn't I was I did feel like uh, I mean I, I I've always lauded the the opportunity to eavesdrop on conversations via on-court coaching because uh, I think it can be entertaining and interesting I felt a bit uncomfortable actually eavesdropping on that one interesting I mean it's a huge advantage to players that speak a language that fewer of the commentators and viewers would be able to understand. You know, Wozniacki always talks to her dad in Polish, doesn't she? I mean, obviously there's plenty of Polish people and non-Polish people out there that understand Polish, but fewer fewer than those that understand English. True. Yes, okay. Moving on from that uh, groundbreaking revelation, (laughs) what else have we got? Uh, We need to talk about the women's side of things in Indian Wells and more generally big time because a lot's been happening it feels like an age ago now but Serena Williams withdrew and she's oh, yeah. with, she's withdrawn from Miami as well and it's obviously a terrible shame you know she's they've you know finally managed to rehabilitate the relationship Indian Wells with the Williams sisters and then it, what have they played two years 2015 was was their first year back so they played 2015 well, was, 20- Serena played a year before 2015 and then Venus joined last, last year. year and then there was the whole hoo-ha with you know the comments made uh, about women's tennis last year which was unfortunate and now this year she's had to pull out so that big rehabilitation that big fanfare of the Williams sisters or Serena's return to Indian Wells is has rather fallen a little flat um yeah it's just it's obviously a shame that she won't be there it's obviously also a shame and very awkward I think that Angelique Kerber regardless of what happens in Indian Wells will go back to the one-on-one sport these quirks of rankings and points do happen there's nothing you can do about it it's just a shame 
it's early days. She's got Pauline Parmentier in the third round. But I think the whole of the tennis world is willing Angelique Kerber to, if not win the event, I mean, I think winning the event would be ideal from a sort of credibility point of view, but have a really good tournament to justify that rise back up to the rankings. I know rankings are year round and she doesn't need to justify it, but I think just in terms of how that looks, you know, to the the outsider, to the passing tennis fan, I think you'll go, what? But she just lost in the third round to Pauline Parmentier and she's back to world number one. I don't get it. It's always been a problem for the sport with a rolling ranking that those occasional quirks where you may be on a bad run of form, but because of the way the points have dropped off for somebody else, you end up going up in the rankings even if you're not doing very well. There was the one with Yevgeny Kofelnikov six weeks in a row he lost in the first round and he went to world number one just because of the way it all worked out. And uh, I remember being with him and it was just a strange dynamic the whole thing I, I saw Angelique Kerber play her first match against Andrea Petkovic thought she looked really good actually much more like yeah, she trounced Petkovic didn't she yeah I mean I think Petkovic wasn't playing that that well but still Kerber looked she got that serenity back a little bit more she looked as though she wasn't bothered by anything going on around she was just playing tennis and and that's what she did all year last year and look what what happened I, w- I mean, she may have lost by the time you hear this, but, you know, I... I, I don't think she's losing to Palmonte. No, I don't think so either. She looks in a better place. The one thing I would just say about the Serena and Venus uh, thing back in Indian Wells, I mean, I, I think when Serena first did that two years, it was one of the great stories of sport that she put that behind her and accepted it in enough to come back after what had happened and then her sister obviously did it again the year after uh, similarly big thing and she actually talked about how Serena's coming back had been the reason that she felt able to do so and Serena actually because she I think her first match back was against Monica Nicolescu and she was a great match it was an amazing reception for her so for me that was bridge built and and such a statement made I, I feel like her withdrawal from this event on that score is an irrelevance. I think the bigger the bigger point is that is the stage of her career that she's at now. The bigger question mark is: Does it matter that Serena Williams doesn't play tournaments? I mean, look, she's injured, Ma- as we understand. Maybe she's not injured. Now, I'm not saying she's lying. She may or may not be be able to play, and and just decided. You know, I do have a, a knee problem. I could play it if it was a slam. I'm not going to bother. Well, the thing is, she left the door open. I think with her statement for this type of speculation to happen, she didn't say I've got a left knee injury, which means that I can't play tennis. She said, I've got a left knee injury and I haven't been able to train the way I would like to in the lead up to the tournament but I'm also going to now withdraw from Miami which is three weeks away four weeks away at that point Um, which yeah absolutely no suggestion that she's lying but I think and certainly deliberately you know she knows what she's doing PR wise that statement wouldn't be there'd be nothing accidental about what was said in that statement she left the door open with it for us to speculate about what the motivations are for her not to play I mean the fact is she plays such a bare schedule anyway which I think is fine for it's a shame for tennis we'd obviously like to see her more but I think she's every right to do that she's proven she can win grand slams doing that so I'm and honestly, sure. while she can do that, she can do what she likes. Exactly. I just think it is a shame. I'm just not sure how much more she can 
physically, practically strip back that schedule, really? How much more can she strip from that schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think if anybody could, and maybe Federer is perhaps the other one, players that good that they could almost just play the slams and a couple of warm-ups throughout the year. Does that look and, bad for tennis? Well, I think it is a bit awkward for tennis. I do think it is a bit awkward. Look, if, it, if it's that or not having them at all, I'd take that personally. Agreed. Ultimately, that's what it would come down to. But there's no question it is a bit awkward for those who are trying to build the significance of a circuit and you get to Indian Wells and Miami and the casual tennis fan turns it on and says, right, when Serena on, oh, well, she's not there. Um, and, uh, and I suspect, I mean, look, let's, let's say for the sake of argument that, that maybe she could play and, um, and yes, she's got an injury, but she could play if she really, really wanted to. And the alternative is to say, well, actually, I'm 35 years of age now. Uh, I'm, I've got this many grand slams. I only really care about my place in history on that score because I've done it all. I'm just going to play those from now on and maybe a couple of others. So don't, don't include me in the conversation too much at those other tournaments. Now, that would probably be a bigger hit in a way to the sport because to, to, even though it would be very straightforward and honest um, and you'd lord, you'd lord her for that, that would be saying, yeah, the tour's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. I agree. On one hand, it, it, it feels a bit uncomfortable. The sort of, If she did know long ago that she never really had any intention to play those events, then you think, oh, why not just front up and be honest? But uh, but I agree with you. Uh, she might be thinking, injured, though. She might she just might be, be injured. So, you know, we've got she to might be, accept that. But, but again, I think what the statement implied was, even if the injury genuinely completely is what's preventing her from playing you know there's no way she could have played knee holding her back she didn't sound that bothered <laughs> that's the bottom line isn't it well you there know. were no platitudes about how gutted she was and that's that's fine why should she be you know she's she's earned the right to feel that way i'm you know yeah, hashtag I mean, just saying well, she didn't seem that bothered well, ultimately and it was quite interesting watching Venus Williams a couple of nights ago against Yelena Jankovic, and she lost the first set 6-1 in 18 minutes, and she was slow-motioning the ball over the net in, in the serve. I thought and she was I, gone. I, I thought she was injured. I remember, actually, I was commentating on the first set, and there's a moment where we were about to go to an ad break, and I was kind of hesitating with the end wrap-up words to the set because I thought she was going to go and walk to the net and shake hands. And she didn't. I remember I got home maybe half an hour later. It's suddenly five all in the second set. And she's fighting like crazy to win. And she ends up winning the match. You know, you, I, I've never been able to read the Williams sisters as human beings or players. They've made a fool out of me more times than I can Don't remember. Don't get me started, David. Serena has made the ultimate fool out of me. Well, that is, you know, that is a testament to their greatness in so yeah. many ways that that we that they're even still going. I mean, for goodness' sake, you know, they started twenty years ago. I, honestly, they can do what they like. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yeah, she's got um, Lucy Safarova next, Venus Williams, incidentally. We won't dwell on that because, again, it'll be out of date. Let's move on to... Another, so I think I think David's going to be using the word awkward again on this next uh, topic of discussion because it's almost poss- impossible to address it without doing so. It's Maria Sharapova. It's the fact that she's been granted a wild card into Stuttgart, and the specifics of that are that the Stuttgart tournament commences on the Monday, and Sharapova's ban doesn't expire until. The Wednesday, and so she's not only been granted the wild card, she's been guaranteed a Wednesday start by the tournament. And bear in mind, that might not sound like a big deal. You know, top names, big seeds do get later starts at, at tournaments and sometimes by request. But Maria Sharapova won't even be allowed on site. She won't be able to practice on site. She won't even be allowed to collect her accreditation before that Wednesday. And, you know, all the other players will have been there. And so there's that. And, I mean, there are all the other many, many facets to the Maria Sharapova story. There's the way she's handling it all, which is just with utter serenity it's like none of this circus is happening you know she was on um instagram yesterday when you know all this hoo-ha is happening with caroline wozniacki's comments which i'll come on to in a minute angelique kerber these players that are not known for being controversial for very much opting for an easy life not revealing their true thoughts about things and and shying away from controversy they have been pretty outspoken um, on the subject of Maria Sharapova and, and specifically the Stuttgart wildcard, I think that's what's provoked them to be a little bit more outspoken. Um, Maria Sharapova, in response to all this, uh, has been tweeting about the um, cover shoot uh, to her book, which she'll be releasing in September, which, I mean, that's a whole other discussion topic in itself. It's because there's no doubt that sales of that will be boosted by what's happened over the last year. And it's sort of profiting from something 
pretty uncomfortable. Th- I don't know whether they will be, you know, because oh, come I'm, on. Not, I'm not 100%. Con- I mean, she has got an enormous following. When you when you look at how yeah, many people... She read- needs to sell to people other than just her fans for that book to be a success. She needs to, she needs to sell to She's the general public. She's got 14 million followers on Facebook. Yeah, they're not all buying her book, David. That's not that's not how that's not how social media works. She, without question, it certainly makes more people headlines. will buy that book than and the timing is not accidental. She Come no, she she on. had been. I mean, Serena, no, well, Serena Williams wrote an extra chapter for her autobiography after the uh, line judge foot fault U.S. Open right. incident. No, I mean, you let, know, let's the, just let's just be clear. She began writing that memoir. She did. Oh, well, over a year ago. She did because I remember seeing the picture of her with Nick Bellatieri when when she met up with him to start remembering parts of her. Career. She did. Quite quite right, but she will be profiting from. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly it makes good headlines for for us and <laughs> and the people in the media. Unquestionably, we will be devouring that book within moments of it coming well, out. I'm not going to read it. No, but I mean, the, uh, journalistically, one would do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Of course, you would. I'm not saying you necessarily want to have a read, but maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't. But journalistically, you can't ignore it. It it is something that has to be read to find out what she's. If got I to thought say. there was going to be anything interesting or revealing in there, well, how I would do you read know it. until you read it. Maybe I'll read the reviews and find out, and then make my just read make the my decision. Book. <laughs> I've got a pile of reading like it's stacked up a meter tall. Like yeah, anyway, that's got to be part of it. Anyway, I spend too much time recording podcasts. Anyway, Angelique Kerber has said, uh, did she use the word awkward? She said it's uncomfortable and it's all, she's not comfortable with the Stuttgart wildcard. Caroline Wozniacki has said uh, very similar. They've both sort of shied away from commenting on the jet. I mean, Wozniacki said she's Kerber fine said with second She said it was weird. That's the word she'd used. Wozniacki said she's fine with second chances. She's not commenting on Sharapova being able to come back and play tennis again she commented on you know what a positive figure she is in women's what a tennis good draw for the sport she is a good draw for the sport david's got all the all the quotes <clears throat> uh but she said she's not happy with the wild cards and she's not happy uh with the stuttgart wild card in particular because of the wednesday start issue and she said it was disrespectful to the other players in the draw david law Take it away. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, first of all, let's be very clear. No rules have been broken here whatsoever. They are following the rules. The rules state that that if your ban ends during a tournament and before the first match that you could play, then you can play that first match, provided it is after the ban has elapsed, right, and completed. So... No rules have been broken at all. They are taking advantage of those rules. It is a bit awkward, unquestionably, because, you know, at least I, I think it is. It just, it's just a bit awkward to look well, at the fact I that mean, she's not Angel- allowed on site at a tournament until Wednesday because that's when her ban ends on the Tuesday or whatever it is. Then she can play a match on the Wednesday and come on site. I find that a bit awkward. And if Angelique Kerb is saying it's weird, you know, what's notable about this is that these are not players that are particularly outspoken about things. I mean, Angelique Kerber doesn't say, I'm not saying not anything of interest. She's, you know, she's pretty 
um, straight-laced, I suppose. She keeps her cards close to her chest, I think, about how she feels on um, hot topics and controversial issues. And I, I think there's probably a lot of wisdom in that. People have been burned and burned badly. I, I think that's fine, however you want to play it. But it is notable that these are players that don't usually speak out on things like this. Nope. Angelique Kerber is the biggest deal at that tournament, or she would ordinarily be in a year where Maria Sharapova weren't making her comeback there. How she feels about the decisions that the Stuttgart tournament make is important. It's very important, and she's been pretty outspoken about it. Yeah, I mean, she, and she's about to become world number one. She's a very notable person to be speaking on the subject, and um, and it, it, it feels more so because, as you say, you just don't normally get sound bites out of Angelique Kerber. It's not her. She doesn't like to get involved very often. Um, so, and, and the gist of her complaint, aside from it being weird, she, she was questioning whether a player should be taking a wild card from a German player, for instance. She, she felt uncomfortable with that. Caroline Wozniacki went further more generally. She said, along the lines of what Andy Murray had said, and with some real elaboration, that she just felt Maria Sharapova should be starting from the bottom without wild cards for a situation like this where it isn't an injury. That was her, her, her view on the subject. And think through that scenario Think through. The, let's just imagine for a moment that Maria Sharapova was offered all these wild cards, and she said, "No thanks, no thanks. I'm very grateful for the offer, but actually, I want to prove how hard I've been working. Prove I'm still a force in women's tennis. Earn my way back. I want to play qualies. I'll see you in the main draw in a few weeks. How much of an open goal would that be from a from a PR and from a sporting perspective? Do you think? I, I mean. I know that would be a, a brave thing to do, to turn down those wildcards. I know, I'm sure all she wants to do in her mind is return to the position, her, her, how she, she sees it, her rightful position, you know, at, there or thereabouts at the top of the game. But that would be, that would earn her so much um, respect and time and, and it, w- it would right an awful lot of wrongs. It would certainly go down well with a lot of people. It was that that was first smooted in an article I read on John Wertheim's Sports Illustrated mailbag column when he was talking on the subject. He he was just sort of basically thinking aloud, a little bit like you've done there, and 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 saying, just imagine that. That is a win win in so many ways. The goodwill that she would end up gaining from a lot of people, I think. Uh, of just saying, you know, and I, I know that we're, we're, we're all accepting that, that, that it was a, a mistake and so forth from her perspective, and she's got punished, she has had a ban. But, yeah, for me, I would, I would have a lot of time for her. She just said, you know what, yeah, thank you for the wild cards. I do appreciate the offers. I'm going to just, I'm just going to go via the qualies, get back in the draws that way. I believe in myself, I'm good enough. I'll be back in the main draws in no time. And I, I, I think, you know, there'd be, there'd be many more people that would be on a side. That there's, she's still got a big following right now. There's a lot of people that, that, that think everybody who's criticizing her are out of order and wrong. But there, there'd be a lot more people that are on the fence and maybe as a result of that moving against her who, who, would, be, who would be siding with her. Well, I'm sure that's a debate that will uh, rumble on. It's certainly not a story that's going anywhere, is it? I'm sure we'll be talking about that in podcasts to come. I'm just uh, scanning down at the agenda, which you put together throughout the week, Dave, and you've just written... 
Christina Plushkova. I'm not sure specifically what you'd like to say, but take it away. Kristin Pliskova and Kayla Day are two players that I've written. I've got a slightly updated version of the agenda to you. And uh, I've written those two names down there because they are two players that I've seen and commentated on this week who have just made believers out of me. Now, occasionally, I am someone who gets a little carried away. Oh, no. Occasionally. No. I have been known to to nail my colours to a mast that doesn't, End David, up you're getting it. carried away. So, um, Shock I, I, admission. Yeah, I, but uh, I have to say, when I, and I, I've always thought Plish, Christina Pliskova, who's the, the twin sister of Carolina, who's obviously US Open runner-up, etc. Um, I've always thought Christina Pliskova, big lefty serve, frankly not much else. I haven't watched many of her matches. That is my from-afar view. I commentated on her match against Bethany Matic-Sands at the start of the tournament. Now, I realise Bethany Maney is a doubles player. But it was extraordinary. The, the, the game that she had behind that serve, it was so much better than I thought she had. And obviously I think she's now refining it and, and learning how to put it all together and all the rest of it. And then she went and thrashed Daria Kasatkina, 6-love, six 6-3. Um, who you were already carried away yeah, about. Yeah, who I've been carried away with for a good year and a half. Um, so, I mean, basically, I've got 20 players, and then I'll wait for the one that ends up being good and say, You'll yeah, say, oh, I said, I've... you know. Uh, anyway. I was into them before they were cool. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and then last night, um, Pliskova was beaten by Dominika Sibulkova, 2-6-7-6-7-6. I didn't watch that. It's a great scoreline. It is a good scoreline. I didn't watch that one. But anyway, I, I just look at this woman's game, and I... She's ranked, what, 40-odd in the world, 50-odd in the world now. She, to me, there's no reason why she shouldn't be right up there. What's right up there, David? Be more specific. Top top 10, unquestionably. Yeah, top 10, no question whatsoever. Twin sisters in the top 10. I think there is a very real chance that those two sisters will meet in a Grand Slam final. Oh, that was... was that was nailing colours to a mask. Kayla David Day, Moore. Kayla Day, seventeen years of age, American, never clapped eyes on her before this tournament, and uh, she played in the first match that I saw her against uh, Miriana Lucic Baroni, who obviously had that fairy tale run at the the Australian Open. Um, Lucic Baroni was serving for the match. Kayla Day broke serve, won the match, seventeen, precocious, but r- just a great attitude on court in terms of. One of those that you just really warm to, really magnetic personality, has this sort of rolling walk. Like, if you ever watch golf, if you ever watch Phil Mickelson, it is like watching his daughter, the, the, same, the same walk they have, right? And um, she... That's a weird comparison. But, but you just... If you, if, you know, if you know who Phil Mickelson is, folks, listeners to the Tennis Podcast, do go and have a look. Put those walks side by side and you'll see what I mean. Um, anyway, the, the, in terms of game, she's a left-hander, Kayla Day. Very, very similar to watching a young Laura Robson, to me. That crispness of the, of the strike, um, the, the angles that the ball's coming at, the feel, she has great feel. And, uh, uh, I mean, and then she, frankly, came within a whisker of beating Garbini Magarutha last night. Just such an exciting player. Perfect for the American audience. They, they will lap it up with her over the next few years if she is able to build on it. There's always that question. But you know when they had the on-court coaching and the insight you were getting from her, the honesty with her coach, that she was just talking like matter-of-factly about what was going on. You know, Muguruza starts coming back into it and she says, 
do you know what? I, I'm not actually playing any differently. She's just playing really, really well. I mean, I, it's really impressive. You know, I'm, I can't believe what she's doing. But, you know, I tell you what, I'll, shall I just do that? I'll just do, keep doing that then. You know, maybe that'll work. And it was, it was just endearing. And her coach was being the same. He just came down when she'd just been broken in the third set and said, wow, she's playing good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Those were his first words to her. And she goes, yeah, I mean, I'm not even doing much different. <laughs> that is fantastic. And seven, 17 is young. It's really young. It is young in men's and in women's tennis these days. You know, the the days of uh, Martina Hingis winning Wimbledon at 15 and Boris Becker winning Wimbledon at 17, that maybe they'll return. I personally can't see it, but we are certainly not in those days at the moment. 17 is extremely young. David, any other business? You're pointing at the clock. You're thinking listeners are, are turning off in, <laughs> in droves. droves. You're thinking no one lis- wants to listen to more than 48 minutes I'm actually of, thinking about my of dinner. tennis podcasts. What, what do you got? Any other business? <laughs> quickly. Well, just, just very quickly on the Davis Cup. Three sets is is the proposal and uh yeah rafael nadal's not totally convinced by it the idea of it is that it will get top players feeling more able to commit if they can play three set matches over maybe two days even of a davis cup tie rather than three i'm so torn on it i i have to say i wonder whether they could maybe do three days still or and 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 just have the singles best of three and the doubles best of five because I just you know the doubles in Davis Cup is one of the great spectacles of of sport for me let alone tennis it would be such a, ho- a horrible thing to lose Rafael Nadal I think thinks it needs to go every other year there's a number of people that that, that agree with that it's one of those perennial problems I mean I, I have a lot of respect for for. Um, David Haggerty for for actually trying to to deal with this this situation and and and, and address it and try to make it better and he's consulted the players. Not everybody's going to be happy. You, if you consult everybody, they're not all going to have the same view. Fair play to him for trying to make Davis Cup as relevant going forward as it can be because it has to be preserved somehow. I agree. I think, uh, yeah, I, I feel completely the same. It's, it's, it's not particularly great analysis for a tennis podcast, but I'm just completely torn. I, I really, I think the principle of being prepared to change, being prepared to try it is really important. I personally think that getting it down to a two-day commitment for players would be bigger than reducing it to three sets. I think if you could get it down to just a Saturday-Sunday tie, but what would I you think lose? that would be I big. Mean, I don't where'd, know. Where'd you put I the doubles? I don't know. There are... You haven't thought this through, Catherine Whittaker. I, I don't know. But well, I, uh, in terms of things that would solve the headline problems, which are, well, number one, getting everyone to play, getting top players to play. Well, I mean, that's that's a problem, isn't is it? That, <laughs> that's, I mean, is, is that's it, numbers one, two, three, four, and five. Is it more important to get top players to play or to have an amazing doubles match? I mean, you know, I think it's Steve Tigner I was reading the other day that was saying, yeah, you know, I, I accept that, honestly, that top players aren't going to play, but I don't want to lose these honestly, amazing Honestly, for you and I... The amazing doubles match would be more important because we're tennis nerds and so is Steve Tignall. For average man on the street and getting people interested in tennis and interested in the Davis Cup, it's more important that the top players play. Okay. Fair enough. Catherine Whittaker, we are being chucked out. We're being evicted from our cave. It's uh, fine. I feel like I need to be reminded what the sun and daylight looks like anyway and other human beings. It's a bit... 
It's a bit weird down here. So uh, that's okay. All subjects covered. No time for pole vault. It's an ideal tennis podcast. Uh, 51 minutes, which is three minutes more than David wanted at the time that he gave me the wrap-up signal. But anyway, I think it's been great. We have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And we will be back in a week's time. 